So, if you remember, a couple weeks ago we ended our series, our Easter series, looking at the life of Jesus, and I said, well, we're going to transition now into looking at the Holy Spirit and kind of walking through a series on the Holy Spirit, and that was going to start last week, and I got here last week, and Sunday morning God had woke me up at like 4 or 5 o'clock and, and gave me a whole new message for last week that we did, and so... Uh, last week, you know, we, we talked about healing and that idea of, of becoming desperate enough to do whatever it takes to receive the healing, of humbling ourselves. And we looked at, at, at Naaman and, and what he had to do to receive the healing that he so desperately desired for the leprosy that he struggled with. And so we looked at that last week. So today we're going to start by jumping into talking about the Holy Spirit and, and moving into this series now. And so I kind of entitled this series, like, what are you full of? What are you full of? And maybe you, you see that and you think, well, what, you know, what is, what is he talking about? What are we full of? And so well, we'll get into that. And we're going to be talking about kind of the, the who or, or what is the Holy Spirit, the how. How does the Holy Spirit fit into our life today? What is the role of the Holy Spirit and the why of the Holy Spirit? Why, why did God send the Holy Spirit? What is, again, what is kind of the role of the Holy Spirit and so this morning we're going to be looking at Acts as well as some passages from Romans as we dig into the Holy Spirit. But we're going to get started off with a story like we often do. Uh, and so this morning, uh, I grew up loving tacos, right? Tacos are like my favorite food. I love to eat tacos. I still love to eat tacos all the time. Um, but who knows that, that sometimes when you love something so much, you eat too much of it, right? Like you just keep eating and eating and eating and you just, you get so full and you're absolutely stuffed. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture to guess I'm not the only person in the room today who has ever overeaten because they really enjoyed something, right? If we're honest, we can all say, we've been there, we've done that. I mean, you probably just have to look back to Easter. You know, a lot of times on holidays we tend to do that kind of stuff where we eat and everybody eats. And then the fellowship turns into family nap time. You know, everybody moves to the living room and you pass out on the couches and shit. You know, that type of stuff. You know, and it, it's, you know, if you're honest, you're like, yeah, it's not the best sign of self-control. You know, we have those, those moments of weakness, um, right? But sometimes you just, you have so much that you either feel like you're going to throw up or maybe you actually get to the point where you literally ate so much that you do end up throwing some of that food up. And I, I know by experience I've done that. But why, why do I share that? What is, what is the point of me talking about that? It's talking about the idea of what are we full of, right? That's what we're going to be talking about. What are we full of? So bear with me here for a second. This is similar in a certain way to the Holy Spirit in our lives. What comes out of us is usually what we're full of. So whatever's inside of us, whatever we're full of, is what's going to come out of us. And so if we want to be full of, you know, have the Holy Spirit move and do miraculous things and, and see the gifts of the Spirit and the working of the Spirit, then the Holy Spirit needs to be inside of us. And we need to be full of the Holy Spirit in order to see the Holy Spirit come out and move and work and manifest in different ways. Right? So whatever is inside of us comes out. So if what comes out of us is, is anger and bitterness then we, we, we go, there, there's probably some anger, or unresolved bitterness, unresolved issues that maybe we're dealing with that are consuming us, that are inside of us. And that's why the anger or bitterness is coming out. Or if what comes out of us is love, joy, peace, patience, you know, long-suffering, the, the fruit of the Spirit, that's because we're full of the Spirit. That's because we're full of God's 
love inside of us. So whatever we're full of is what comes out of us. So now before we can really get into what exactly this means for our lives, I want to just give you a quick breakdown of, about the Holy Spirit before we dig too deep into Scripture. So how do we get, how do we get Him? How do, how does, where does the Holy Spirit come from? Or how are we, we filled with the Holy Spirit? What does that mean for us as followers of Jesus? I have, I have three simple questions that I'm going to answer quick. So number one, who or what is the Holy Spirit? Right? There's a lot of misconceptions about the Holy Spirit, about who the Holy Spirit is and, and what the Holy Spirit does. In some view, the Holy Spirit is really mystical, right? It can, people can get kind of, just if you're honest, they can get weird about the Holy Spirit, right? They can, they can make it, it just seem odd and weird and, and, and like a mystical thing. And others understand the Holy Spirit as the impersonal power of God. You know, people have all kinds of different ideas about who or what the Holy Spirit is and who the Holy Spirit's available. So what does the Bible tell us about the identity of the Holy Spirit or who or what the Holy Spirit is? Simply put, the Bible declares that the Holy Spirit is God. It's part of the trinity of who God is, of three parts in one. We have God the Father... Jesus the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit who make up the Trinity. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, a being with a mind, emotions, and a will. How do we know? In the Bible we find that the Holy Spirit can be grieved, it says. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. How, how can we grieve something that isn't a being? How can we grieve something that, that, that isn't uh, it, its own individual entity? We read that the Spirit intercedes for us, that He makes decisions according to His will and according to what God guides and directs the Holy Spirit to do. The Holy Spirit, as I said, is the third person of the Trinity of God. The Holy Spirit functions as our comforter, as a counselor, just as Jesus promised the disciples He would be. We looked at that a few weeks ago at what Jesus taught the disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 9 tells us that if a person does not possess the Holy Spirit, he or she does not belong to Christ. For it says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God uh, lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to Christ. Right? So, what does that teach us? It teaches us that when we come into relationship with Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells inside of us. At that moment, when we give our hearts to the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells inside of us. Ephesians 1, 13-14 teaches that the Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation for those who believe. It says, Having believed, you are marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the re redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of His glory. We receive the Holy Spirit, as I said, by simply receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that's when we receive the Holy Spirit and we make that decision to give our heart to the Lord. So here's a couple points about the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, and there's going to be some scripture references that go along with it that you can look up. And so firstly, the Holy Spirit is a person. And Matthew 28, 19 talks about that. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 talks about that. The second part is that the Holy Spirit is God. 
In Acts chapter 5, you read about the role of, of the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is eternal and holy. We read about in John chapter 9, and in Romans chapter 1, it teaches that in Romans chapter 5. And finally, we learn that the Holy Spirit is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. Right? So, He's all-knowing, He's everywhere, and He's all-powerful. We, we can read about that in Zechariah, or in Psalms 139, or 1 Corinthians 2. So, there's different scripture references that you can write down if maybe you have questions about about is he God or is he eternal and holy? Those are some scripture references that you can look at that talk about who and what the Holy Spirit is. So if you have ever claimed Jesus as your Savior and as, as, as the Lord of your life, scripture teaches us that you have the Holy Spirit. But now here kind of comes the part that's a little bit sad. Is that I believe that there are many who are believers who the Holy Spirit lives and dwells inside of who have access to the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and the working of the Spirit, but they're not actually allowing the Holy Spirit to actually work in their lives. I think there's a lot of people who the Holy Spirit dwells in who people don't allow the Holy Spirit to work through. And that's crazy to me because the Holy Spirit, as part of the Trinity, as part of the three persons of God, as an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God who created everything, who conquered life or death and sin, who did many miracles. He lives inside of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells inside of us. But yet, for many people, that has no effect on them whatsoever. That's a, that's a sad state to realize that there are many people who are not accessing the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And I'm hoping that throughout this series, as we talk about the Holy Spirit and, and the gifts of the Spirit and the working of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, maybe we'll begin to go, you know what? Maybe I've been in that situation where I've been kind of squashing the Holy Spirit in my life. Where I haven't been allowing the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit's desiring to do in my life. And through this, we'll, we'll begin to see God do great and mighty things through the work of the Holy Spirit. So another question is, why do we have the Holy Spirit anyways? Right? What, what, why did the Holy Spirit come? And we looked at this a few weeks ago, John 14, 15 through 18. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him. Because he lives with you now, and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. For many of us, if we were to ask somebody, or, or ask you know, the question, if you can have Jesus physically present with you, or the Holy Spirit, who would you rather have? If you can have Jesus physically present with you, or the Holy Spirit... Who would you rather have? I think many of us would tend to say Jesus. Because if Jesus is physically present with us, someone that we can see, someone that's walking with us, someone that has, has a tangible presence to us, to us, and many times it's easier for us to follow and believe and to look to. 
But Jesus said he had to go because the helper was better for us. Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit is going to be more help to us than Jesus was. So for our Savior, our Messiah to say, say, I need to go because there's someone who's going to be of more help to you than I am, that says a lot, right? That says a lot that he would be willing to say that the Holy Spirit needs to come for it will be better for you. When Jesus says this, we need to respect, we need to understand that we need to respect what he said. Right? We need to take him at his word. We need to believe that what Jesus says is true. And if what Jesus says is true, he's saying, trust me guys, the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to do things that are far greater than what I've ever led you to do. Holy Spirit's going to move and work and do wonderful things. So what does it mean for us? What does the Holy Spirit mean in our lives? The book of Acts, if you ever want to know how the church started, right? If you ever want to know how the early church started after Jesus uh, died and rose again and ascended into heaven, read the book of Acts. It's the history of the early church that was set up through the apostles. So all throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is active in changing lives. The same Holy Spirit that's described in the book of Acts and and throughout the rest of the New Testament is the same Holy Spirit that dwells and moves inside of you and I today. So the stories that we read about the Holy Spirit moving and sweeping across areas and, and revival and people coming to Christ is available to you and I today just as it was to Paul and to Peter and to the apostles who led the early church. There are many things that we can learn from what the Holy Spirit does. But there's three things we're going to focus on this morning when it comes to the Holy Spirit. The three things we're going to, we're going to talk about this morning is how, number one, he turns a timid heart into a bold heart. The Holy Spirit takes a timid heart and he turns it into a bold heart. The second thing, that he can take a hardened heart and turn it into a passionate heart. He can take a heart that's been hardened and calloused by this world And turn it into a passionate, sensitive, loving, caring heart. And finally, that he can turn a dead heart into an alive heart. How the Holy Spirit can bring life into a situation that's been dead. So number one, as I said, he turns a timid heart into a bold one. Acts 2, 36-41 says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be the Lord and Messiah. To be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles. Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins. And turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. All who have been called by the Lord are God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. And actually, when you look at that number, 3,000 just refers to the men. 3,000 does not include the women and the children that may have responded to the message that day. Because often when you look at scripture, most numbers is only referring typically to the men. Because culturally, that's what they counted. That was was the statistics 
that they looked at. So this is right after the Holy Spirit has come and, and the day of Pentecost has happened and the Holy Spirit has fallen upon, upon Peter and the other disciples. And Peter is preaching now. He's being empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach. The Holy Spirit is, is, is preaching through him and, and convicting people's hearts and drawing people onto himself. And people are being saved. But remember... The Peter who preached right here and saw 3,000 men and, and who knows how many other thousands of women and children come to the Lord right here is the same Peter who had just denied Jesus three times. The same Peter that God was working through here to do a mighty move was the same Peter who had denied Jesus three times. Peter was once fearful to the point of denying Jesus when he was asked by who? A little girl, it says in Scripture. There was a young girl who asked him if he knew who Jesus was, and he said no. That's how scared Peter had become. That's how little courage and boldness he had in his heart at that time. That was before the Holy Spirit came. But with the great power of the Holy Spirit working in his life, Peter became bold to the point of preaching the name of Jesus in front of a crowd of thousands and thousands of people. Power can be used in at least two different ways. It can be unleashed or it can be harnessed. Harnessed. Power can be unleashed or it can be harnessed. It can be kept in. It can be controlled. The energy in 10,000 of gasoline, 10, 10 gallons of gasoline, for instance, can be released explosively by dropping a lighted match into the can, right? If you have a can of gasoline, you drop a match in it, it's going to immediately, all at one time, explode out of that can, right? It's all going to be used up and burned up in one moment like that. Or it can be channeled through an engine of a vehicle where it's controlled, the burn volume is controlled, and it can be used to transport someone hundreds of miles. That same thing that could have been burned up in a moment can be used to help someone travel for hours to get from one place to another place. Right? Explosions are spectacular, but controlled burns have a lasting effect and often have longer staying power to them. The Holy Spirit works in both ways, though. You'll see moments where it's a miraculous explosion, like when Peter was preaching here, and 3,000 men, and how many ever countless women and children came to work. That was like an explosion of the working of the Holy Spirit. But then there's other times where the apostles would go out and they would share, and one or two people would come to Christ. And then that one person would go and it would tell somebody else about Christ. And you'd have the trickle-down effect of one person knowing, and it trickles down, and next thing you know, hundreds or thousands of people may have heard because that one person who shared the gospel. It's a controlled moving of the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, he, the Holy Spirit exploded onto the scene. His presence was tongues of fire, it says, in Acts chapter 3. Thousands were affected by one burst of the Holy Spirit's power. But he also works through the church, the body of Christ, us as individuals, to tap into the Holy Spirit's power for the long haul, through worship, through fellowship, through service with one another. Christians are provided with staying power, the working of the Holy Spirit for the long haul. What is it in you that you wish you could do for the Lord, but you are limited to because you're too afraid to try it? 
Right? What is it in your life that you're going, I wish I could do this for the Lord and I would love to do it, but I'm just too scared. I, I just, I'm not quite bold enough or courageous enough at this point to do this. For many of us, if we're honest, we could say, there's maybe not just one thing, maybe there's multiple things in our lives that we wish we could do or we would like to do, but we're not quite bold enough. We're not quite courageous enough to step out and do that. And in a sense, in a way, we're, we're denying the Holy Spirit of what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our lives by not being bold enough, by not stepping out in faith and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in those situations. Right? I think, you know, for me, a situation is sometimes when I'm around family, even as a pastor, sometimes I can get timid when it comes to talking about certain things with my family that aren't safe. One, because they know that I'm a pastor. So sometimes it's hard for me to bring certain things up in conversation because immediately they think I'm going to start to convict them. I'm going to start to, to, to talk to them about the things they're doing and that I wish they were living their life in a different way. Even when that's not the intention, sometimes it's just it is hard. And so sometimes uh, I can be kind of timid when it comes to some of those times and those conversations because I don't want it to be something that blows up and then we don't talk. You know, and so it, it's that being sensitive and allowing the Holy Spirit to give me discernment. But at times I find myself, you know, making an excuse, right? It's like, oh, I think this conversation is about to happen. Oh, sorry, I need to go refill my water bottle. You know, I'll be back in a few minutes. You know, you, you, you come up with an excuse to kind of avoid the situation. You know, you, you figure out a way around it. So when you get nervous, you find a way to get out of it. And, and you're, you're actually, what you're doing is, is you're hampering the Holy Spirit from being able to work in some of those situations at time. And I, I've been guilty of that myself, as I've said. But the Holy Spirit can turn a timid heart into a bold heart. First, or 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. Right? God doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't give us a spirit to be timid. He gives us a spirit to be powerful, to be bold, to be courageous, to go out and do what it is the Holy Spirit is asking and wanting us to do in our lives. The second thing, as I said, he turns a hardened heart into a passionate heart. The Holy Spirit takes a hardened heart and can turn it into a passionate heart. Acts chapter 9, and this is a story that I'm going to imagine that almost all of you have heard. But we're going to look at it this morning because it's the perfect example of a hardened heart turning into a passionate heart. Meanwhile, starting in verse 1, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. The way refers to Jesus or the early church. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a loud voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Before we, we, we read on a little bit further, one thing that catches my mind every time 
His soul is knocked off of his horse, right? The light comes and, and he's knocked to the ground. And he says, who are you, Lord? Right? So Saul, a person who was persecuting, who wanted to arrest, and, and, and was one who had, you know, um, supervised the martyr of Stephen, the first Christian murder, or martyr in this situation, was now realizing, who are you, Lord? Like, he answered as if he actually knew there was a Lord. You know, that, that to me always catches me every time. He says, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. If you move down a little further in the passage, we're going to start at verse 26. It says, When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Right? So what happened in between those two passages that I just read? Saul went into the city, right? And he was blinded. He had, he had God had placed scales over his eyes. And he went in into this home. And, and then eventually God spoke to him individually. He said, go to this man's house. Lay your hands upon this man. And the guy did that. And then... God opened Saul's eyes, right, to who he was. And Saul, the man who, who hated Christians, or hated the early church, probably more than anyone else on this earth outside of Satan, now was, was loving God as much or more than anyone else, and preaching boldness in the name of Jesus, preaching the gospel message. And so, this is the same guy, right? And so this is the power of the Holy Spirit, to take a heart that was hardened, a heart that was as black of a piece of coal as you could imagine. And he brought flesh into it. He softened his heart. He gave him a passionate heart. He helped him to see things like God sees things, to see hurting people. Sounds like two different people, but it's the same exact so what is the importance of passion? Like why, what is, why, why does it matter that he takes a hardened heart and he makes it a passionate heart or a caring heart? Listen to this story quick. This is, this is from somebody I, I heard this just the other day. It said, just the other day, I was in a parking lot at the pastor, and he came out to his car, and there was a huge scratch on his car. Came out, and someone had scratched up the side of his car. There was no note there to say, I'm sorry, or anything else. The person just... So just took off. And so the pastor said, I did what any Christian would do. I prayed. But listen to what he prayed. He prayed Psalm 3-7, which says, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. <laughs> right? So that, this is where you can take a piece of scripture out of context. And he prayed this for the individual that had scratched up his car. 
right? That's not very Christ-like, right? That's not very passionate. That's not very loving. But in the heat of the moment, this man's heart was hardened for a second. He became angry, and he was upset about what had happened. That guy's not perfect. You and I were not perfect, right? We have moments where anger wells up inside of us, where emotion gets the better part of us. And sometimes we even take Scripture out of context and use it and say, God, just may you pour your wrath out on that individual. You know, and so, but he became very compassionate or passionate to find the person who had done this and he wanted to bring them to justice. But that's not the kind of passionate heart that I'm talking about today. Paul's conversion experience on the Damascus Road was a force that changed his life forever. He was grateful for the gift of grace that he had received in salvation. He was grateful for the grace that God had shown to him. And subsequent years following that, the apostle told many people about his encounter with the resurrected Christ and the impact that that made on him. And we too have a story to tell of God's mercy in saving us and of the new life that we found in him. Right? The power of our testimony, the power of your story about what God has done in your life from the moment that you encountered him. Right? Your encounter, I'm going to venture to guess, is not like Saul's was. It was not as extreme as Saul's was. But for some of you, it was very dramatic. It was a sudden change from living one lifestyle to living a totally different lifestyle. Because when God got a hold of you, He just miraculously changed your heart in a moment. And for some of us, it's more of a process. But we, we tell our story of what God has done in our lives. Because the more that we understand what Jesus has done in our lives the greater passion we'll begin to have to share it with other people. The more we realize what God has done in our life, the more we go, wow, like, that's, it's amazing what God has done in my life. And then that turns around and it gives us a passion and a desire to share that with other people. Because we want other people to be able to look at their life and go, wow, look what God has done in my life since I surrendered my heart to Him. Look at the change that has taken place in my life. Developing a vibrant faith requires time and energy, plus a commitment of obedience. Regular study in the Bible helps to strengthen your beliefs and it gives you courage to speak. Caring about the spiritual welfare of others moves us into action. So the question is, is do you have a passion to serve Jesus wherever he leads you? Do you have a passion to serve Jesus wherever the Holy Spirit may guide and direct you to go. And finally, the third part, as I said, is he takes a dead heart and he turns it into an alive heart. Romans 8.11 The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we, we, we become a living being. We are born Again, we are a new creation in Christ. Our old heart is gone, as it says in Ezekiel, right? It says that our heart of stone is replaced with the heart of flesh. So what does a dead heart consist of? For one, if you don't know Jesus, right? If somebody doesn't know Jesus, and their heart doesn't belong to Him, they're spiritually dead. But it's also possible for believers to have a heart that's dead as well. 
What do you mean? How does that happen? Well, if, if, if our heart is still full of selfishness, if our heart is, is full of things, right? Because we can surrender our heart and still hold on to certain things, still struggle with certain things in our lives. It happens with selfishness, right? And here's an illustration. Say you're sitting at a table somewhere, and, and, and you and an individual you're with, you both order the same exact meal. And they come out and say you both ordered steak. And one is like 8 ounces and one's like 12 ounces, right? You ordered the same thing. They're supposed to look the exact same. But one is obviously bigger than the other one. And they come to you and you take the bigger one and you leave the smaller one to the other person, right? And then that person goes, well, that's not really fair. You know, why, did, why did you think that you deserve to have the bigger portion and I deserve to have the smaller portion? You know, and maybe, maybe a better scenario is this is a husband and wife in this situation. And often the husband maybe grabs the big one and the wife goes, well, if, that would have, if I, they would have asked me, I would have taken the smaller one and given you the larger one. One, because I know you probably want it, but two, like, just out of love and compassion. Right? But it, 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 sometimes it's that selfish nature inside of us that goes, well, I want the bigger portion, right? I, I, want, I want to have the most in, in this situation. And so I've been there. I've done that. You know, I've been at different places. And one that I think of is our men's retreat in Wisconsin that we went to. They had a steak dinner. And, and you got all kinds of different looking pieces of steak. Some looked good, some not so good, and all different sizes. And I was the one that I hunted for the biggest perfect looking piece of steak. While other people were standing lying, waiting behind me, going, just take one, you know? Like, but it was that, that selfishness inside of me that desired to have the bigger portion. But what does that look like? So that's a physical thing and stuff, but spiritually in our lives, are we struggling with selfishness, or are we saying, you know what, I'm selfless, and whatever God is asking me to do, whatever the Holy Spirit is directing me to do, I'm willing to do that, despite maybe what my flesh desires to do, despite what what I desire to do. When we're full of ourselves, <clears throat> it's hard for us to be full of anything else. Right? So getting back to this idea of what are you full of? If you're full of yourself, if you're full of your flesh, if you're full of your desires, it's really hard to be full of the Holy Spirit. It's really hard to be full uh, of what God is trying to do, right? Because it says in Scripture that, that we can't be the master of two things, right? We're mastered by one thing. We're mastered, we allow ourselves to fall underneath God and His leadership, or we allow ourselves to fall into the things of this world. We become a slave to the things of this world. We cannot be mastered by two different things. When we are full of our passions and our desires, we are not full of God. And our hearts have become dead to what God is desiring to do in our lives. When we learn to lean on the Holy Spirit, our hearts become burning for what brings glory and honor to God. It doesn't matter how deep dark, wide, awful, embarrassing, terrible you think your past may be. God can change your heart in a moment from one that is dead or struggling to be to one that's full of life, one that's vibrant, one that's healthy, one that is just on fire for what God is desiring to do in and through your lives. All you have to do is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then walk with Him. In obedience, right? It's not just enough to have the relationship. You have to be obedient to what God is doing to truly walk in the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. The worship team can come back up at this point.
One uh, old pastor said this, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that's contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our heart. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and the things of this world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. We must be empty before we can be filled. So this morning I want to encourage you, maybe this morning is a moment for you to come to the altar and empty yourself out of things that maybe you've held on to. Maybe there's stuff that you've struggled to let go, and now is a moment where you need to come and say, you know what, I realize that I can't be full of the Holy Spirit. I can't be full of God and what He's trying to do in my life if I'm still full of the things in my past. If I'm still full of the baggage and struggles and things that I've walked through. I have to empty myself of those things so that the Holy Spirit can come and fully move and function and work in my life. So I want to encourage you this morning with the question of what are you full of? What are you full of? And that can be a hard question. It takes self-reflection. It takes honesty. Right? Because we try to justify things of like, I mean, I've given God like 98% of my heart. There's just like this little thing that I'm holding on to. And it's really not even that big of a deal. And God's going, give it up. Surrender it. Lay it down at my feet. And just see the things that will come your way as I work through you. So what are you full of? Myself and, and a couple of our leaders will be up here for a time of prayer, or if you just want to come to the altar and pray alone. But I want to encourage you this morning. If you have something you're carrying with you, brought in this morning, I want to encourage you. Let's lay it down at the altar this morning. Let's empty ourselves so that the Holy Spirit can come and fill us and move in our lives in greater and more powerful ways. Father, we thank you this we know that we are loved by you. Father, there's no question, there's no doubting that you love us. It's so evident. All we have to do is simply look at our lives, look around at the lives of those around us, and we see your love everywhere. Sometimes in the little things, sometimes in the big things, and everything in between. But God, your love is evident in all things. And God, this morning, my prayer is that our love for you would continue to increase. God, I don't doubt that, that we have a love for you. But God, I just pray you continue to help each of us to increase in the love that we have for you. So God, I ask that, that we may decrease so that you may increase. That we may humble and submit ourselves under you. Not just you as our Father, Jesus as the Messiah who intercedes for us, but now the Holy Spirit who comes and works alongside us, who dwells inside of us, who desires to do great and mighty things in our lives. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the Holy Spirit, that we would be open to the moving and working of the Holy Spirit, that we would 
be reminded of what the Holy Spirit can do. That they aren't just stories that have happened and can't happen again. But that the same Spirit that moves through Peter moves through us. We thank you for that, Father. And I pray now as we go out that you'll give us the boldness, Father, to proclaim your word. That we won't be timid. You'll give us boldness, bravery, courage to go forward with the gospel. God, I pray that you continue to help us to have passionate hearts. God, that long for the things that you long for. That we would see things as you do. Father, give us the heart that longs for the lost. Father, help us to be fully alive in you. God, to lay down the things of our flesh, the things of this world that are preventing ourselves from fully becoming alive in you. God, we surrender those things to you. Father, we thank you this morning. We ask for your hand to be upon us as we go. Father, work through us in great ways that not only will we impact this community, Father, we'll impact the Iron Range. We'll impact around the world. God, we just give you all praise and honor and glory for what you're doing, what you have done, and what is yet to come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.